Thank you, Howard. Have I got a deal for you? Never trust anybody who says that. But trust me, have I got a deal for you? Who in here wants, uh, hang on, i got to get the words right. Who in here would like a good life? Okay, about half of you. <laughs> Who in here would like to be able to do and, and know and do what's right? That's pretty good. I've got even more of y'all want that than a good life. Um, who in here would like to be able to understand um, uh, what God has for you? Oh, yeah. Um, who in here would like uh, to live a life where you didn't have to worry about uh, uh, your finances and you didn't have to worry? <laughs> we got a lot of hands. Okay. Who in here would like to live a life where you have great peace in your heart? Who in here would like to live a life where you get along with people? Who in here would like to live a life where the person you're married to is nice? (laughs) This is it. Welcome to the class on Proverbs. Everything I've just told you, the book of Proverbs says you can have um, as you get wisdom. Wisdom in the sense of, of Proverbs wisdom. So, Lest we dally and tarry and not pick up all that there is to offer, let's move forward quickly. Um, We are today in the book of Proverbs, and I want to take a moment and tell you what's coming so you can kind of keep up with where we are as a class. And if you're visiting, um, um, welcome, get a Bible, get notebooks. Um, There are people here who will help plug you in. But here's what the future holds, God willing. Next Sunday, Edward Fudge will be teaching on Ecclesiastes. Edward's, uh, (laughs) I'll tell him you clapped again. It really meant a lot to him this week when I said that. Uh, He said, did they really clap? And I said, yes, they clapped. Oh, I'll work real hard. And, uh, (laughs) but... He would have worked real hard anyway. Um, uh, Edward just gets so excited to teach, and I always tell people it's to, to listen to Edward teach is like trying to get a drink from a fire hydrant. You know, it's just the water pummels out, and, and you just kind of sit there and hope you can catch some. Um, but Edward will be teaching on Ecclesiastes, which leaves me the following week. Whoops. I skipped ahead. On November 30th, the Sunday after... Uh, uh, Thanksgiving, I would like your prayers um, because it leaves me teaching the Song of Solomon. One of the things that, that uh, we have a lot of joy with in this class is the fact that we have all age groups. Um, that Sunday, I think, will be PG-13, okay? Uh, so if you're below the age of 13, you need to have a parent with you. Um, uh, I will try to keep it rather mild, and I probably will do uh, more of a comprehensive handout than I will an oral presentation. Uh, the book of the Song of Solomon, uh, when the Hebrew rabbis would read it, after they read from it, they had to go wash their hands. Uh, literally, literally. Uh, it is filled with double entendres, and it deals with issues of sexuality, and uh, I'll deal with it, but I'll deal with it uh, uh, hopefully in a, in a very um, uh, good fashion for this type of a class. I'll probably go into a little more detail in some of the outline than I will um, uh, vocally. And then I hope to give a little bit of Isaiah, which is our next book there. The reason I want to give a little bit that Sunday is because the following Sunday, we do in fact have Joel Chernoff coming to play two songs out of Isaiah for us. 
And uh, he is uh, the gentleman that we played the song from on the Psalms last week. He is a Messianic Jew, um, uh, which means he's a Jewish Christian uh, who uh, really has a heart towards uh, trying to show the Jews that Jesus is Messiah. And Isaiah made a number of prophecies about Jesus as Messiah. And so he has a number of those songs. One of the songs is uh, one he'll sing in Hebrew. We're going to surprise him. And I'm going to teach you all some Hebrew the Sunday before he comes uh, so that uh, you all are just real savvy. And when he comes in, you can all greet him appropriately. And he will be flabbergasted and wonder why our name doesn't end in Berg or Stein or something for most of us because we're just going to seem so Jewish to him. Um, anyway, Joel Chernoff is coming uh, December 7th. Today we have Proverbs. Let's move through them. My first question is, who has a handout that, or needs one? Mark's just holding them up. If you need a handout, don't be bashful. Some down here, Mark. Um, uh, we'll go through. What is a proverb? Well, if we read Oxford's English Dictionary, it will tell us that it's a short, pithy statement in common use. Like... Um, uh, uh, a stitch in time saves nine. That's good. I, um, uh, what else? Uh, a penny saved is a penny earned. Uh, idle hands are the devil's workshop. That's right. Waste not, want not. We've got them loaded here. Um, nothing owned but the TV. Uh, that was one of my little daughters running around the house this morning. Um, she decided it was naked day. Um, <laughs> Becky explained to her that naked day and church do not go together. The things we learn when we're four. Um, the uh, a proverb in English is a short, pithy statement saying in common use. If we were to look at the Hebrew word mishla, it is um, more than just a short, pithy statement. It's a, a statement of some wisdom in Lots of wisdom. <laughs> it is. Uh... Hold on. We have the technology. We can fix this. Okay. It is a saying of wisdom. If you knew what time of night I had been typing this, you'd be surprised <laughs> that there's not worse. Um, it is a saying of wisdom with poetic balancing. We talked about poetry last week and the week before, how it'd be one statement and then another statement that either contrasts or says the same thing, but the statements relate to each other. Um, in Hebrew, the word mishla, which we translate proverb, is, is just that. It's a saying of wisdom but instead of being a short, pithy statement in common use, it's, it can be much longer. It can be uh, verses and verses and verses. It can be, you know, 10 verses or 20 verses. It's the poetic style of a statement of wisdom that is uh, uh, talked about in Hebrew Proverbs. Um, the Greek uh, uh, title for this, when, when the Hebrews translated Scripture into Greek, for the Septuagint, they called it peroimiai salmontos, salmontos, which is uh, basically the parables or the proverbs of Solomon. And that comes a little bit closer because it's got the idea of parables in the sense that some of these sayings aren't short at all, they're rather long. 
Um, the, when Jerome translated the Bible into Latin uh, for the Vulgate and the Catholic Church, he uh, titled this book Liber Proverbiorum. I took two years of Latin, three years of Latin, but it's so long ago I, I've forgotten it. Anyway, I can tell you that means the book of Proverbs. Um, I just can't pronounce it. Um, proverbiorum, I guess, is where you put the accent. Uh, uh, and, and that just basically means book of Proverbs. And so from that, our English translators have called it that. Now, I ask you this question, who wrote them? Um, lots of people say Solomon. And there is a tradition that Solomon wrote three books of the Bible. This was an old Hebrew tradition uh, among the Hebrew rabbis who wanted to make sure that there was a known writer for every book of the Old Testament. So scholars can look at this 2,000-year-old tradition, but don't give it total credibility because these rabbis were pigeonholing and forcing uh, uh, authorship where the authorship really was unknown. And uh, for the Proverbs, these scholars believed, or rabbis believed, that Proverbs were written all by Solomon by and large. Um, That's probably not the case. Uh, We know that Solomon wrote them. We know a fellow named Agur was responsible for some of them just by reading the Proverbs themselves. Uh, We know that there are a number of other people that are listed in there as being responsible. Here's an interesting point. We also know that there are outside influences on the Proverbs. So, for example, if you, you were to have um, Pritchard's ancient Near Eastern text relating to the Old Testament, the book that we often talk about, um, there is a whole section on Proverbs. And these are Proverbs that existed by um, uh, the Akkadians, uh, by the Egyptians, by other Semitic peoples at the time of the Old Testament. And if you look, um, for example, at, uh, uh, this is the Proverbs, uh, the wisdom of Amenhotep. It's out of Egypt. And you look uh, in the ninth chapter here, uh, it says, Do not associate to thyself uh, the heated man, nor visit him for conversation. Um, that's, that's a stilted translation uh, that would look nicely next to the King James, but in everyday English, uh, don't associate yourself with a, a hot-tempered or a heated man. Um, and don't visit him if you want conversation. That's not the guy you need to be talking to. Well, it's an interesting proverb because I'd like you to compare it to Proverbs 22, verse 24. And I'll just compare it right up here by throwing it on the screen. Proverbs 22, 24, you see here where it says, Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered. Do you see the close relationship? There are a number of sayings in the um, wisdom of Amenhotep that are very, very close to the Proverbs. Um, themselves. And so as you look at the wisdom of Amenhotep or as you look at the Proverbs, one of the questions a lot of scholars have asked is, did the Proverbs borrow from Amenhotep? Or did Amenhotep borrow from Proverbs? We know that Solomon was close to the Pharaoh of Egypt. Um, We know that because uh, A, one of his wives was Pharaoh's daughter. B, Pharaoh gave uh, 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 Solomon gezer as a wedding present, a town. You know, I don't know how many of y'all have given wedding presents of towns, but that's a pretty good gift. 
Assuming it's a pretty good town, it could just mean trouble, but uh, uh, that was given by Pharaoh to Solomon. So there was a relationship between them. Um, we don't know uh, uh, which came first, and frankly, it doesn't matter because Proverbs themselves are not claiming that they were all originally thought up and written by someone inspired by God Almighty's Holy Spirit. Rather, the Proverbs are saying that in the process of God's Holy Spirit working among the prophets at putting together the scriptures, these were recognized as wisdom sayings to help teach people learn how to live and function and be good, good folks. And so God's Holy Spirit's involved, whether he takes it from... Um, we should never think that, that God is not able to reveal some truth to pagans. Um, pagans often are, I, we send our kids to school sometimes to pagan schools. Well, our kids are able to, uh, lots of times we don't, don't get me wrong, um, but our kids are able to learn from, from pagans certain basic things. Um, I, I have uh, seen that, you've seen that, so we shouldn't automatically assume that Scripture has nothing to do with people outside of Scripture. That would be a wrong assumption. So, anyway, who wrote the Proverbs? Lots of different sources behind the writings. Um, how reliable are them? Are them? Are they? Well, them's pretty reliable, boy. Um, how reliable are the Proverbs? They are very reliable. Obviously, they're in the Bible for a reason. However... And I would be interested to get Lewis's thoughts on this. I've not talked to Lewis about it, and I won't put him on the spot to bring him up here. Um, I want us to pause for a minute and understand, as we look at the Proverbs, what inerrancy, again, is with Scripture. Scripture, when we talk of Scripture being inerrant or without error, what we're saying is that Scripture is perfect and without error in what Scripture is claiming to be. Okay? The, what Scripture is claiming to be is an important part of that sentence. Where Scripture is claiming to be an allegory, it's an allegory. Where Scripture is claiming to be a proverb, it is a proverb. And as a proverb, it's not an absolute statement that will always ring true, never fail. Rather, it's a general rule and a guideline and something that expresses the heart of God in wisdom. Okay, here's an example. Um, this is poetic wisdom to help govern one's life as opposed to merely uh, uh, an absolute rule that will never change, that we can prove the existence of God by because it never is invalid. Look, for example, at uh, Proverbs 22, verse 6. Proverbs 22, verse 6 is one that you're probably familiar with. And this is one I, I would have enjoyed asking Lewis about if I had uh, had an opportunity, but I won't put him on the spot. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, that's a general rule. That does not mean, however, that if a child departs from God as a child gets older, it's the parent's fault. Because if the parents had merely trained up the child in the way he should go, he would never depart from it. Absolute statement, absolute rule. It, if so, if he departed, it's the parents' fault. No. That's not what this is saying. This is a general rule of wisdom. That if you put your child on a path 
and you train them to walk that path or that road and you teach them that's the road of their life, when they get older, the odds are they're not going to change and abandon that road for another one. They're going to keep walking the road that you've trained them to walk all their lives. And so it's important that we rear our children that way. I've known parents who experience great guilt because they feel like they must have done something wrong because their children, who are free will human beings, opt later in life to turn their back on the Lord. Now, it could be something the parents did wrong. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, that, you, that it can't be related. I'm just saying it doesn't have to be. Here's another example uh, to, to try and encourage you to see this scripture. And I pulled one from the same chapter, um, uh, 22 verse 11. 22 verse 11. He who loves a pure heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king for his friend. Well, that doesn't literally mean if you love a pure heart and your speech is gracious, you're going to have the king, or I guess in our case, President Bush, as your friend. No. What that means is, uh, 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 as a general rule, if you have a pure heart, if your speech is gracious, all levels of people are going to seek out a friendship with you because that's the kind of person people want to be friends with. So these are general rules, and we need to read them that way, or we're doing God a disservice, and we're denying God the chance of teaching using uh, this type of a proverb tool. Certainly, we don't want to do that. So let's read proverbs for what they are, and having said that, I want to look at some proverbs with you, and let's just go through them. We've got about 25 minutes. I have uh, finally... I'll confess my sin. I have finally taken Dr. Bob's scissors and cut out pages of my Bible um, so that I can put them on here. But I want us to go through these and uh, um, look at some of them. Uh, I'm going to start with Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Now, don't cheat and read it yet. Let me ask you a question first. Have you ever wondered what God wants you to do when you're faced with a serious decision in your life? Have you ever wondered, should I move here or move there? Should I take this job or take that job? Should I um, uh, go send my kids to this school, send my kids to that school? Should I um, you know, buy this house, buy that house? Anybody ever struggled over those? Anybody ever wished that God would just write some of these hard decisions down on the wall? Yeah? Okay. We, we, I mean, I've, I've wanted it. I know he can write. I know he can write on walls. I read Daniel. Um, I've asked him to do it, and sometimes uh, uh, he doesn't. <laughs> this passage means a lot to me for that reason. Let's look at it. Trust in the Lord, Yahweh. Now, we've got to start getting into practice because we have a Messianic Jew coming of not saying Yahweh. We're going to say Adonai, which is just the common word for Lord. Okay? Trust in Adonai with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make what? 
your paths straight. This is a wonderful direction proverb. This says, you may not have the wisdom to understand every decision God has put in front of you. What you need to do, though, is you need to trust in Him, recognize that what He believes is best for you is, in fact, truly what is best for you. You trust in Him. You acknowledge Him in all of your ways. Lord, I want to do what you want me to do. Tell me which way to go. I've got this fork in front of me. I've got to choose left or right. Please, Lord, let me know. And you pray this and you seek Him out. And if He tells you, you have a willing heart and you do it. Some people don't even want to lay the odds of the stuff out in front of them because they've already made up their minds of how they want to go and they don't want to give God a chance to change their heart. That's not what this is talking about. This is saying you acknowledge Him in all your ways. You trust Him. You put the willing heart out there. You lay the options in front of Him. Don't lean on your own understanding. You acknowledge Him. And then you have a promise that He will make your path straight. And that may mean that He's going to tell you which way to go. It may not. Because I am convinced many times God is saying, use your head. You've got a willing heart. I give you the choice. You choose. I'll bless you either way. He didn't make us to be computers that just respond to the keyboard input by Him. We make decisions. He's in the process, he says, in the New Testament of renewing our minds. Helping us learn to think. He didn't put Adam and Eve down and tell them how to till the garden. He put them in and told them to take care of things. Now, that doesn't mean he's not there to give wisdom. That doesn't mean he's not there to give help. But from the beginning of creation till now, he made us in his image so that we're able to be creative as our creator is. We're able to make decisions as our God is. And he's saying, you acknowledge me and I'll make your path straight. If you choose the wrong one, I'll help guide you to the right one. If you make the wrong choice, I'll move you over to the right one. The key is for us to trust Him and to acknowledge Him and to seek Him out with a willing heart. That's a proverb. Okay, another proverb. Look at um, Proverbs 5 and 7. These are going to be brief. I'm not going to put them on the screen because I want to look at the whole chapters. These deal with adultery, both ch uh, chapters. Um, it says, My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion. And then it proceeds to say, basically, um, don't commit adultery. It's a trap. It's easy to fall into, but it's a trap that leads to death. It's not right. It's not godly. It's not healthy. And you run from it. Um, it's self-explanatory. But it's something I encourage you to read and consider. Next, Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 8. An interesting proverb in what it says about wisdom. Some theologians have talked, thought that Proverbs chapter 8 deals with um, Jesus before Jesus was born. What's called the pre-incarnate Christ. 
Um, I don't think so. I think the attribute of wisdom is one that is a godly attribute that clearly is just as much a Jesus attribute. But these are the kinds of statements uh, um, out of wisdom, uh, chapter 8. I'm going to start looking at uh, verse 12. Let's see, we'll go ahead and put it up here. Um, Verse 12. I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. Skip down a little bit. I have understanding and power. By me kings reign. By me princes governs. I love those who seek me. Those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honors, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along paths of justice. I bestow wealth on those who love me and make their treasuries full. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was appointed from eternity, from the beginning, before the world began. When there were no oceans, I was given birth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills I was given birth, before he made the earth or its fields or the dust of the world, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep. Then it concludes this chapter. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. Whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord, but whoever fails to find me harms himself, and all who hate me love death. Now, um, does that sound, some of those passages, like uh, uh, perhaps the pre-incarnate Christ, some people have thought so over the ages? Um, I don't think so. Uh, The pre-incarnate Christ was not created. He has existed forever from God. But what that tells us is is that the wisdom of principle, or the principle of wisdom, is what God has set up uh, for the earth. These principles that we're getting out of what God has chosen to put in the Bible for us are principles that provide for the whole foundation of the earth and for our cultures and for our interactions, and for our nourishment, and for our lives with God. And the wisdom that's provided here is something that we would be smart to honor. If we continue to look, um, chapter 9 has got a wonderful little uh, uh, poetic parallelism. Chapter 9 is kind of divided into three parts. Um, uh, It's got, uh, the first part is a... uh, Let's see if I can find a way to do this. Um, Chapter 9 starts out with uh, uh, verses 1 through 6, talking about, I need eye surgery. Either that or it's not me. Which one? Focus? Hit AWC? No. Hit automatic focus? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, one through six is a talk about wisdom. And again, it personifies wisdom. It makes wisdom a lady and it tells us about her. And then there's like a commercial. The commercial is from like seven to 12. And it's kind of like, okay, we're pausing this TV show to show you a commercial about wisdom and stuff. And then when the commercial's over, we pick back up with the story 
and it is in verse 13 through the end of the chapter, a story about folly, the opposite of wisdom. And it's interesting to compare the two. I'm going to leave out the commercial and just read you wisdom and folly and listen to the comparison. Wisdom has built her house. She's hewn out its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has set her table. She has sent out her maids and she calls from the highest point of the city. A, let all who are simple come in here. She says to those who lack judgment, come, eat my food and drink the wine I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of understanding. Isn't that a wonderful lady, wisdom? Now compare folly. The woman folly is loud. Okay, this is the problem with tearing your Bible up. I need page 971. Here it is. The woman folly is loud. She's undisciplined, without knowledge. She sits at the door of her house. Wisdom was making everything, built her own house, did all of these wonderful things, had this beautiful life. Folly, she's just some loud woman sitting at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way, Hey, you who are simple, come in here. She says to those who lack judgment, Stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. And the simpletons, little do they know, that dead are in there. Her guests are in the depths of their grave. It's a beautiful little illustration. Um, it's also a reason why Hebrew proverbs are more than just a short, pithy statement. This is just a, a parallel statement. You, you want to be wise? You, you get off your tail and you get after your life and you do the things that are good and you reach out for things that you work for and uh, this got Protestant work ethic etched all over it. You want to be uh, um, uh, folly? Uh, you want to have a miserable life? Then you sit around and try and milk off other people's food and, and, and uh, uh, steal and thieve and all of this kind of stuff. It's, uh, those are Proverbs. Okay. Next. Oh, time out. I got to show you this one. I love this one. This is Proverbs 10:26. As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is a sluggard to those who send him. This is saying uh, this is practical advice. You need to send someone to do a chore. If you send a sluggard to do your chores or to help you with something, you might as well just be pouring vinegar on your teeth and oodling smoke in your eyes because it's just going to irritate the fire out of you. <laughs> That's what it says. These are just wonderful. We, we lose track if we don't spend time in the Proverbs with the beautiful, funny way that the guy had of, of trying to convey just daily truths for your life. That's not a deep theological statement. That's just a matter of fact. It's like chapter 11. There's no theology here. It's just true. The Lord abhors dishonest scales, but accurate weights are His delight. I was in the donut shop yesterday morning for my daughters, and uh, 
I watched the lady in front of me pay her money to the donut lady. Her bill was $5.84. I'm standing there, and she gives the lady $7, seven $1 bills. And, I, I, and, and then gives her like the 84 cents. And the lady basically realizes, you could see it register in the, the lady's, the donut lady as I call her, the donut lady's eyes, she's getting an extra two bucks. So she hands the lady back one of those bucks. Then she sits there and she, and you just look at her and she's looking and the other lady says, is this okay? And the other lady says, uh, yeah, thanks. And she kept the extra dollar. And I thought, well, maybe she didn't know. And then I noticed she punched it in the register, 683, enter, and the change back was to be a dollar, but she just stuffed them in there and shut it. I counted my change uh, after I did my transaction. But, you know, you, you sit there and you think, well, the Lord doesn't take delight in that. Wouldn't it displease the Lord for a buck? It's an issue of integrity, though. And what the psalm is saying is not, you know, is Bob Dylan, Bob, I'm sure, is quoting someone else, but he's got it in his song, steal a little and they throw you in jail, steal a lot and they make you king. Um, you know, the, the question's not an amount here. It's a question of integrity. And we need to know that God watches this and God has a viewpoint on it. Okay, let's keep going. Oh, I like this one. 14, verse 1. By the way, the Proverbs go after men and women equally. It's just the women one tend to get my attention more. <laughs> the wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. You know, I think this is an interesting story because men were the builders of the actual structures of the houses. But a wise woman builds her house because a woman can choose how to have her house put together to some degree. Again, not an absolute rule. Don't take these absolutely or you'll walk under bad condemnation or you'll walk under all sorts of things. But don't throw them out either because they're there for a reason. And ask yourself, Lord, how can I build my house? Men, we need to be about building our houses too. Um, that's what God wants. I like this one. Here's one where he goes after men, so we'll give it equal time. A patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. I had a boss one time who told me it's good to pretend to have a quick temper. It gets people in line. And that was a time in my life where I was reading these Proverbs just regularly, and this clicked into my head. I didn't take the time to say, actually, sir, that shows that you're, you're full of folly. <laughs> because these same Proverbs say not to say that kind of stuff, especially to your bosses. Um, we keep looking. Here's one. Mom made us grow up on this one. She quoted it often. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I think about that. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I'm going to keep pushing these, and I'm going to find one that pushes your buttons. So if you're sitting there saying, yeah, I already knew that, that's okay. We're going to keep going. Here's my Louis Miori proverb special. Oh, this is a good one. 
Lewis and I used to play racquetball before he started faking injuries. <laughs> and sometimes Lewis would look out and get an incredible serve in that probably because I was thinking about my Sunday school lesson instead of concentrating, I may have missed. And I can recall one time in specific, Lewis just, when Lewis gets in some of these serves, sometimes he has a tendency to self-celebrate, which is one thing that Jeff Shreve just always climbed the walls over. But anyway, that's another story. So Lewis had gotten in a great serve, and he was just, yes, yes, did you see that? Oh, that was so good. And I looked at him, I said, you're pretty proud of that serve, aren't you? And he said, you right I am. And I said, you remember what the Proverbs say? Pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit before the fall. You're going down. You cannot win this game and believe in the Bible. <laughs> I think he beat the pants off me anyway. But uh, uh, a wonderful proverb. Oh, oh, this is a good one. I really like this one. Um, the writer of Proverbs uh, goes after men, but he does go after women. Look at this. Proverbs 21.9. Better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Now, I don't know if the guy putting the Proverbs together started chewing on it or not, but he, he comes back and visits this just a few verses later. And he says, not only that, but it's better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and ill-tempered wife. A um, couple more favorites. If you ever find somebody who keeps doing the same thing wrong over and over, that's not wisdom. It's, uh, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Isn't that a great picture? How about this for a picture? As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. You getting up? No, I'm just rolling over. You getting up and going to work? No, I'm just rolling over. You getting up now? Hang on, got to roll over. That's the picture. Isn't that just a wonderful picture? I tried to seize some of these pictures for you. Let's see if I can go back and... Uh, I thought, you know, we've done this wonderful artwork in this class, right? Okay, well, we need to do a little artwork. Uh, ooh. How about that one? You recognize them? Get a load of this. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. So to make this a little bit more artistically there. Now, there's a beautiful woman with no discretion. You can have all the looks in the world. But if you don't have your heart right with the Lord... That's what you look like. You spend hours getting ready. You, you put on the nicest clothes, the best perfume. You may not smell like that, but you look like it. That probably is true. Actually, they did wear gold rings in their noses back then. The women did. Now it's the men, so we can be pulled around. The, uh, uh, <laughs> no. The, uh, um, uh, 
the, the idea of this would probably apply to men as well, except men generally aren't beautiful. So <laughs> we look like pigs to start with. Um, I wanted you all to have that so we had our art lesson for the day. Um, in closing... Uh, you cannot be biblically literate with the Psalms without knowing the last chapter of Psalms. The last chapter, I'm Proverbs, excuse me. The last chapter, Proverbs 31, 10 through 31, um, is famous and is read every Mother's Day. It talks about the wife of noble character. It says, a wife of noble character who can find, she's worth far more than rubies. And I'm proud to tell you that uh, for all the joking I do with my wife, this is my wife, and I thank God for it. Um, her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax. She works with eager hands. She gets up while it's dark. She provides food for her family, portions for the servant girls. She considers a field. She buys it. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. Her lamp doesn't go out at night. She opens her arms to the poor. She extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she's not afraid. She's got her household clothed. She makes coverings for her bed. Her husband's respected at the city gates. She makes linen garments and sells them. She's clothed with strength and dignity and can laugh at the days to come. She speaks wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her, saying, Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive, and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Um, I want to urge you to consider spending time in the Proverbs. I've already got you on a reading program, some of you, where you're reading five psalms a day. If you want to kick in one more chapter, then let's do this with the Proverbs. If you don't want to kick in one more chapter, keep it with your psalms, but, but pick up your Proverbs. Those of you who, who have abdicated the psalm program because you don't like reading five chapters of the Bible a day or you're doing something else, read a chapter of Proverbs a day. It's a great source of wisdom. There are 31 chapters. So generally, you're going to get it all read uh, each month. And it's a wonderful way. And you'll find things in there that truly do help you in your day. Points for home. Number one, get wisdom. It pays. With due respect to Met, who I think coined the slogan, get Met, it pays. Um, get wisdom. It pays. Read Proverbs. Get wisdom. See, those kind of go together. Acknowledge and trust God. Acknowledge Him in all your ways. Oh, and last but not least, point for home. Um, would you pray with me? Lord, uh, we seek your wisdom. We thank you for giving it to us in ways that are humorous, in ways that are serious, in ways that challenge us, in ways that move us in ways that uh, slap us in the face and in ways that embrace us and warm us ugly, or warm us, uh, hug us warmly, I guess, Lord. You have been so gracious to us and you uh, have done so in so many different ways. I pray that we will all be motivated to seek out your wisdom, to seek out these principles and guiding uh, uh, ideas that will help us be not only more holy, Lord, but will help us live this life 
in the paths and directions you want us to, to be the kind of people you want us to be. Uh, thank you, Lord, and I pray your blessings on each person in this class today. In Jesus' name, amen.